over the holidays when we were stuck in our house by ourselves and couldn't invite anyone over. And it was just us. Mm -hmm. And we were all just, you know, having hot chocolate and great food and just being with each other. Mm -hmm. Those moments of pure joy is, is what it's all about. That's yep. what it, That's when you're just like, oh, God, it was totally worth it. It's the Foster to Forever podcast. Happy stories of non-traditional families born through Foster to Adopt. I'm your host, Rachel Folginetti. Sitting right in front of me is my favorite person in the world, my husband, Joe Folginetti. Wow. Hi. Hi. How you doing? Good. Nice to see you. <laughs> nice to see you too. It's been a while. Yep. <laughs> we just moved into a new house and so our lives have been insane with the holidays. Then we both got COVID and the new house and the two kids. It's been an extravaganza, let me tell you. Yeah. The move was treacherous. It was, yeah. yeah. It was a lot. It was yeah. a lot. But it's over. It's behind us now. Yep. We're on to greener pastures. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me <laughs> today. Yeah. And um, I wanted to get your take because obviously you've lived through it as well. But I, I think it's interesting to get the man's take and not that it's particular to gender, but the partner's take, right? So you, the listeners have heard my story. I'm wondering, as you reflect on what we've been through over the last seven, eight, ten years, I guess, yep. all in probably ten, eleven, twelve years with the with the infertility stuff. As you reflect on the whole journey, um, what sticks out for you? Yeah, I mean, what sticks out to me is how wonderful it is now. So. I'm trying to do the same thing with the move. I'm trying to put the move as far behind me as possible and just enjoy the now. And when we were in the process of adopting Izzy, um, it was it was hard. I remember, you know, it was all, to me like the the most stressful part was the court dates. So you went to all the court dates. I went to a few of them. And man, when you're in that courtroom, I remember the feeling of walking. We were in the hallway of the courts, whatever that courtroom was in um, downtown L.A. Edelman Children's Court yeah. in downtown <clears throat> L.A. Yep. remember being in the hallways with hundreds of other families and kids and, you know, there was all types of court cases going on there. But when they called us into the courtroom, <clears throat> and the, that cop walked us in. The bailiff. The bailiff. I just remember the feeling of my entire chest collapse. I felt like I couldn't breathe. I felt like all the oxygen left the room. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so stressful. Yeah. And <clears throat> I also never felt like we had a say. Like, remember, you know, we were way in the back and there was a lawyer for the baby, a lawyer for the mom, birth mom, lawyer for the birth dad, and then a lawyer for the county or something. And there was no lawyer for right. us. And we just were never represented. And it was that helpless feeling because the judge was so intimidating. That's right. You're 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 uh, zeroing in on something 
which is it's true. The foster family is there there's no one really in the equation that's on the foster family's side or advocating for the foster family. As a foster family, you need to advocate for yourself. And it's a very delicate dance because yeah. you can't piss anybody off and yeah. you don't want to make enemies and you don't want to come off as too, quote unquote, aggressive, as we were told. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a difficult spot to be in. It really is because when you go in the courtroom, you're not even allowed to speak. You just kind of sit there in the back and yeah. you listen and they talk really fast and really low so you can't hear what's going yeah. on and it's it's like and then it's over and, and it's then oh it was over so fast and the birth mom's lawyer was constantly asking for extensions and extensions she couldn't get a hold of birth mom she probably didn't even try well you know, that... or made made a phone call and so all of that was like we're like what you know, remember yeah. that we, we were in the back going, wait a second, this is like the fourth court date. Right. And and ironically, like the birth mom never appeared, but she still has a court appointed lawyer. Right. And so does the, the birth father. Right. So um, they have to do their due diligence yep. on behalf of their client. And so that's what they do. So they would get extensions or they would preserve their rights or, you know, because um, it's a whole step by step process yeah. of terminating parental rights. It doesn't happen overnight. And rightfully so. They give them ample opportunity. They give them services. And then they have to see if they are engaging the services. And then if they're not, then they can ask for an extension. So the whole thing, it was explained actually to us um, that even though it takes a long time and it's really frustrating, it's actually good that it takes a long time because that means they've given every opportunity yeah. Yeah. So that by the time you get to that final determination, you know, you know, it's a sure thing. It's not going to be reversed and that you're first in line because now you've had this child for like two years. So that that's kind of the, the point behind it. But, yeah, I do agree that the court dates were the scariest times for me. And also, just so you know, Joe started a brand new job that was a two and a half hour commute one way, like a few weeks before we started yeah. fostering, right? Like before we brought Izzy home, like two weeks before or something crazy. Yeah. Or one week. Maybe. Yeah. It was, it was insane. It was like right at the same time. So he, we brought this baby home and then all of a sudden he was commuting two and a half hours away. And I was just had this baby and that was really difficult. And I had to go to the court dates because he was, knew and it, he didn't feel comfortable being like, I need this day off and this day off. So that was extremely stressful yeah. for me. Yeah. And it, it's, um, it's necessary and all that, but when you're, when you're the parent or the foster parent, you're just, you're like everyone else. You're worried about yourself and you're also, we were all, and it was every three months. So every three months we're like that much more in love with Izzy. Mm -hmm. You know, so, and then it becomes like, well, wait a second. I, I'm the parent now, you know, right. like when is that point where it feels right to everyone that we're the parents over the, the birth mom? And I get that the birth mom is really important, but if the birth mom is just absent, when is it, when is it right to change parents? 
Right. You know? And that's, that was always, I was always struggling with that too. I wanted her to be, I wanted Isabella to have the absolute best chance at, at a great life. So, you know, I guess after 18 months is when I was like, okay, how much more time do you need? Right. So, right. So, um, Joe, can you talk a little bit about the beginning? Did you feel the need to protect yourself a little mm. bit? Um, yeah. <laughs> he's smiling because <laughs> it's a leading question. Oh, I yeah. actually know the answer to this one. Good one. But I want the listeners to know. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So everyone has their own strategy because when we were in with the um, Extraordinary Family um, training classes, we got to meet a lot of the other uh, parents that wanted to foster. And so I met a lot of dads and moms that had their own strategy, like how to, how to like do this without getting wicked hurt, you know, cause it, we, I had talked to some people that it didn't work out for, and it was brutal. They were just, they would, they were. Can, can you just share briefly who that was and it was it was our chiropractor's uh, one of her patients, and I don't really we didn't we didn't really know her that well, but she had done foster care. I think it was like a year and a half too. I think it was eighteen months for her, and right when they thought they were going to adopt, they changed the judge, and the new judge came in, and the old judge was going to terminate parental rights. The new judge come came in and didn't. Yeah. And they never got the child and they were devastated because they, you know, yeah. 18 months, two years of being with a baby. Yeah. And they, they had a baby too. And, um, you know, you get unbelievably attached. So, you know, that's always in your head. But So uh, what was your strategy for, for dealing with that? Did you start out <clears throat> with? Yeah, I was, I would, my strategy was to back you up a hundred percent and de- n- not get too t- like I tried to keep my distance from her. Mm-hmm. And so for th- for the first 3 months I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm handling this. It was a it was an infant, it was a newborn. It was so strange to me and we didn't have that 9 month, you know, runway that mm-hmm. most parents get to prep for it and get ready for it and take Lamaze classes and learn about being a parent to a newborn. You just you get the call, you go down to the hospital and you have about five minutes with the nurses. They teach you how to feed her, when to feed her, what kind of stuff to get, what kind of formula to get, and then that's it. They're like, okay. Remember I asked the nurse, I was like, will you come home? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So my strategy was to keep my distance from her so I wouldn't get absolutely devastated by it because I knew you weren't going to do that. You were going right in and you, and your philosophy was just love her like she's yours from day one and just don't think of anything else, which was a great idea. But I didn't do that until we went to New York. So three months in, Mm -hmm. we had to come back to New York for a a wedding. We had her for three months and I was like, what are you going to, we're going to fly with a three month year old baby. And you're like, of course we are. And then you ask the judge, you have to get permission to leave the state or the county. And we got permission. We took her in an airplane with a baby seat and the whole thing. And when we were, we got into New York, we rented a car. We put the baby seat in the back seat of the car. I sat in the back seat of the car with her. And you were driving from JFK up to New Paltz. Mm-hmm. And on that drive is when I fell in love with her. I couldn't, I couldn't 
I couldn't think about anything else after that drive. She was looking at me and she was holding my fingers and she had never made that kind of, you know, eye contact with me at that point. She's only three months. Yeah. But that whole time I just thought, okay, this baby thing is going to be easy because I, I'm just going to be there and take care of her. But I didn't, I didn't know the connection would be that powerful until that day. Wow. On the drive. It was an hour and a half drive. And it was, did you realize it on the drive? I remember you telling me I, later, did you realize it at that moment? Oh, yeah. I knew I, I fell in love with her on that drive. Yeah. It was undeniable. I think it's absolutely impossible to not, you know, I mean, I just think it's impossible to not fall in love. And, and the whole thing is like, my whole thing was, you know, she deserves to be held like we're never going to let go. Yeah. No matter what happens. She deserves that, whether it's for a day or a week or a month or a year or however long, yeah. you know, you can't withhold love from a human being, from an infant. Yeah, you know? we, we had just been through or so any much. child. Yeah, we, we had been through so much yeah. um, failure before that. I just, I wanted to be, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to crumble right. in front of you. So I wanted to make sure I could support you. And that's, that was my, I'm not saying it was right. It was right. And I don't even know how I held it. I, I mean, I, I don't even know how I kept it together for the first three months and didn't fall in love with her because she's so, right. she's so amazing. I know. Um, Looking back now, don't you, aren't you like, God, those first three months, I wish I was more like present. Do you feel that? No, I, no. No? No, because I was. Real, I was there. Yeah, you were. And also you were doing that new job. So you were like all yeah. over the place with the new job. Yeah, that was intense. And just, I was really trying to keep my mind like occupied. And I yeah. was really, I really dug into that new gig and I was working really hard at it. And the commute was brutal, but um, we, yeah, I was just, I was just trying to keep everyone together and just support you two instead of, I don't know. I don't I don't know how it would have been different. I, I think if it was if I if I knew from day one this was our child, like mm -hmm. you know, um, I think that would have been totally different. Did you not feel like that? So you you didn't feel as sure as I did. No, I mean in with the in name the, thing. In the training the stat the statistics were sixty percent of the foster kids get reunified. That was a high number. So I was like, oh God, how do we, you know? Like, yeah. They were, they did a really good job of training us in the foster care, um, in the extraordinary families um, classes to just prepare yourself for like the reality of what you're right. getting into. They definitely didn't sugarcoat anything. <clears throat> no. The second class, we, I drove away, when we drove away from, there were eight hour classes on Saturday afternoons. So at a full eight hour day, you drive down, you drive down to wherever that was on in downtown Los Angeles. Yep. You, you have a full day of class, you watching videos, you talking to people and there's all of their staff there training you. And after the second one, <clears throat> they showed videos of foster kids who hated their foster parents. Yeah. And it was brutal. I, I was like, oh, we're not doing this. I know. Every time, every drive home, one of us or the other would be like, oh, hell yeah. no. We're yeah. not doing this. Yeah. I'm not doing this. We, we, <laughs> we were really, 
researching all the options at that time. Yeah. I remember going to like the Asian Adoption Agency. They were like, they were like, it's like a nine year waiting list. Oh, you mean like the International Adoption <clears throat> Agency? Yeah. To, yeah. And, and there were limits too. There was like, I think for China, like you had to be 35 and under. So we like, we weren't even qualified yeah. for that. South America had stopped doing it. Yeah. A lot of places. In there that we, we, yep. Yeah. So, yeah, this is, you know, this is one of those, I don't know, what was it, 10 different agencies we researched in well, person, did the training, we did all the classes. The, yeah. Yep, we really walked through it. Can you talk about um, how this has, this experience um, has affected our relationship? You mentioned that we went through a lot of failure, which is an interesting word that you used before. Um, just talk about that a little bit. Well, it definitely... It definitely made us stronger because like I, I always felt like I could, you know, go into battle with you, but mm -hmm. I, we mean, we did it, you know, we did it twice. Yeah. And it, you, you were really great about it. And you know, you know that, you know, I, <laughs> you know, you were the best one, <laughs> but, uh, what do you mean? Well, but you're at it, your, your mental, um, like the way you were going into this, the yeah. way you were like your vision, your positive attitude, your um, the way you manifested all this yeah. was just. Thank you for mentioning that, because I feel like that's a big part of it that. And obviously, it's easy for me to sit here now or us to sit here now and say, oh, it was all, you know, we we visioned it and, you know, all that stuff. And it yeah, doesn't did, always though. go that way. Yeah. But but yeah, I did definitely go into it. Um, uh, consciously and w with a vision that I held on to very strongly. And if people would ever ask, like, if there's anything that they could do to help during the process, I said, yeah, like, if you could hold a clear vision of us becoming a forever family, that would really help. And uh, I'll never forget at the at the adoption party, thanking everyone truly from the bottom of my heart, whoever sent us a positive thought or a wish or a support, because I believe in all of that. And yeah. I believe that we collectively manifested yeah. that. And also, like, it was important to me that we were connected, as I said, with the the person whose, it was her path to be in our family as well. And I truly For believe sure. that. Yeah. yeah, but you you constantly, you, you wouldn't even entertain my thoughts of in negativity you you right. would always you would constantly tell me um no this is i'm not going there but this is happening you, yeah. you know when i when i would say well what if this what if right. that and you were like that's i don't even you're like don't even i'm not going there it's this is this is if this girl's meant to be ours she meant to be ours and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna handle this part of the her life in that kind of fear like I, you know, that's just me though. Right. Um, right. I remember actually <clears throat> specifically one evening we were in our bedroom and I remember looking at you and all of a sudden realizing that you didn't share that same, uh, like in your bones resolve that this was definitely happening. Do you remember that moment? Yeah. And uh, I, I was like, I was like every day, are you letting in fear and doubt? I was like, are you, you can't do that. I know you always coach me up. So that <laughs> That was great. I I think every every partnership needs one of them. Yeah, you know they need someone that's like has serious resolve. 
And I, I do want to also just mention, though, getting back to that, um, I wanted it, that I believe that it was Isabella's life path as well. Like, I, I, I just want to speak to the fact that she did have a birth family and that we, when, when we, when I went to that healer um, to get like guidance and counsel about how to handle getting the phone call and about connecting with the person who was supposed to be in our family, um, we were told very clearly by this woman who is a channeler and a wonderful sound healer that she had heard from the ancestors. And you can take this or leave this. Some people will be like, this is BS. But I truly believed it, that she had heard from the ancestors, that the ancestors had gotten together, her ancestors and our ancestors, and agreed it was a match. And so that was huge for me, too. This woman kept saying that she kept hearing as if it was coming over a CB radio, it's a match. It's a match. Yeah. It's a match. And so that also felt good. And that's why when we got that confirmation about her name being the same name that we had chosen all those years ago, not just the first name, but this, the middle name, to me, it just felt like I can really hang on to that. That's something I can like really, that's a sign I can yeah. believe in. The signs were strong. Yeah. The, that sign, I mean, I always love reading the letter you wrote to Isabella Rose when you thought you were, when you were pregnant. Yeah. And like that letter, it was so interesting that you wrote a letter to your unborn child. Yes. And you, yeah. It's just, and I told her that was her name. I was like, yeah, in the letter. Our top name is Isabella Rose. <laughs> and I still Isabella have the letter. Isabella Rose, exactly like yep. that. So, yeah, that, that, that and then Dominic with Dominic's birthday being on my birthday exactly. on the exact same day. And then the the nurse that handed him over to us was named Tony. Yeah. Right after your dad passed. And yep. your dad's name was Tony. Yeah. So there was these crazy signs from both kids yeah. that helped me a lot. I I, I kind of needed that. But it, it definitely helped me. I was when I would get doubt at, you know, in my in my dark um solitude i'd be like okay no no this is gonna this is gonna happen because it has to you know yep yep <clears throat> and i tried to do everything you recommend and like pray to my mom and all that and my mom was i felt my mom was definitely there for both children she <clears throat> there's something about izzy and there's something about dominic that are absolute perfect matches for my mom my mom mm. would have loved both of these children beyond belief for for exactly who they are so that's that's something that that carried me too yeah yeah um let's talk about parenting real quick oh, God. um <laughs> one thing i've noticed is we never fought until we had kids. well until we had the we, second kid we rarely fought <laughs> and, but even with with just with Izzy mm -hmm. I, I noticed the fighting starting but then with with the two kids for sure we've never fought as much um and it's not like you know terrible fighting it's just um being annoyed annoyed end of the rope very little reserve tank yeah talk about that like like yeah um I've never heard you ever say, I need help until Dom. <laughs> mm -hmm. Then you're like, I need help. 
Um, <laughs> and, you know, you'd be with Dom and I'd be with Isabella and I'd hear you scream that and I'd be like, what? You know, and it's, it's, um, yeah. I don't recall fighting with Izzy, though. I only recall it after Dominic. The second kid is exponentially harder. Yes. And it's we, true. We, we both work, um, uh, you know, then we, we pack, I mean, at, what, three months after Dominic's adoption was finalized, we packed up and relocated from California to upstate New York. That, yeah. that was, that's hard. Yeah. Um, also being an older parent, I think there's some really amazing benefits to being an older parent. Emotional sobriety being like up there. Financially a little and, better. Yep. Yeah. Financially too. However, energy level wise, yeah. I think it's really difficult. We have a two year old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have a two year old and a seven year old, and we're in our early fifties. Yeah. And that is I just keep reminding myself, Anderson Cooper has babies. Anderson Cooper <laughs> That's babies. I always think of uh, <laughs> the uh, older Baldwin. He's like, what is he, 65 or something? And he's got a newborn. Yeah. Right. But that it's also different because they have like all kinds of help and all the money in the world sure. and like all that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it, the energy level thing is difficult. And also the the difference in age between the two of them is very difficult for us right now. Izzy is seven. Dom is two. And so they do not... You know, they don't play the same way. Yeah. Um, he's very in destructo mode right yeah. now. So and he's constantly destroying all her stuff. Yeah, that that part is really hard. The fact that they're not I mean, the whole I remember after Izzy, for years we thought, okay, let let's have a second yeah. child so that she has someone to play with. And right. She and she always said she wanted She always said that and now she didn't want nothing to do with them, which is hard. And and I hate keeping them apart, but they're happier when they're off doing their own things. I mean, she is. He always wants to be around her, right? Um, but it, but when they've he gets, had their moments of of fun, yeah, together. But it's small, difficult. Small, small um, moments of time, but that is hard. And and you know, the second kid is hard. We're both still working. That's hard. But I, you know that. The moments when we have, like over the holidays, when we were stuck in our house by ourselves and couldn't invite anyone over, and it was just us, mm -hmm. and we were all just, you know, having hot chocolate and great food and just being with each other. Mm -hmm. Those moments of pure joy is, is what it's all about. That's yep. what it. That's when you're just like, oh God, it was totally worth it. And right. there's, and there's always those moments of joy, and that's that's what I. Definitely just trying to focus on those moments of joy. And I, I, I don't know. I think every parent feels that way. I mean, I, you know, yeah. there's parents at drop off today that were like, oh God, you know, and they only have one kid. Right. You know, so, and, and, and it's great to commiserate with other parents and hear that it's not easy for anyone right now, you know? Right. It's, I, I don't know any parents that are like, this is so easy it's nothing you know <laughs> it's a breeze especially when especially the parents at school and even the other school we were just at in los angeles all those parents with two kids yeah just like the stories are just brutal yeah it's it's challenging and then um special needs are challenging too um it's, our daughter has special needs and she's amazing and wonderful and we would not change a thing she's autistic she is fantastic but she's, you know, there's special needs there. And so that's a an extra thing. And and then it remains to be seen whether Dominic will have special needs or not. 
they do prep you in with the foster to adopt journey that a lot of these children will have special needs because of what they've been exposed to and what they've been through. And um, that's not to say that that's necessarily why, quote unquote, but, um, you know, it's something to to think about and something that we need to be on the lookout for and just to help get the services that are necessary if and when that becomes necessary. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm also like completely, I, I don't know if it's her special needs or not, but there's something so unique about Isabella Rose that. I, I don't know, maybe I have special needs because I, I feel like I really relate to her. You know, there's something about Izzy that I, I don't know, that she's so unique and so interesting. It's kind of what I love about her. Yeah. I love that she's different. Yeah. And, and I, you know, when she asks me all the time, like, Daddy, it's okay to be different, right? It's okay to be, you know, you know, do your own thing. And I'm like, Honey, I prefer that. Like, right. you know, I'm I'm different. Look at me. Yeah. <laughs> Look at mom. And so <laughs> I, I'm always encouraging that. But that's right. this her little her little quirky attitude and her little all those differences yeah. are what make I don't know, it's what I love about her. Right. I don't Absolutely. I wouldn't want her to be any other way. I I wouldn't want her to be n- typical. Right. Yeah. And and Dominic's got his own quirks too and he's yeah, Dom. Amazing. I don't even know as how well. to explain Dom. Dom. <laughs> Dom's yeah. only two and a half, so it's hard to put a finger on it. But he is—he's is all over the place. He is—he smiles. He's yeah. He's smile. He's like a bowling ball rolling around the house, destroying everything. But he's all smiles, and <laughs> he's always. Yeah. Like, but both children are always always happy. And my my fondest memory of Izzy, and to explain to anyone how happy she was, is during right after. COVID, right after, right after the school started opening up after the real big hit in 2020 of COVID, they would be testing all the kids with the temperature gauge mm-hmm. at the door before they let them in the school, the school grounds. And they would always say to every kid, how do you feel today? How do you feel today? <laughs> oh, yeah. So they would, every kid would go in there and say, oh, I feel okay. Yep. I'm fine. I'm fine. And when they would say that to Izzy, she'd be like, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And I remember teachers all the way from preschool all the way to first grade in pre-K, they all said to me, I've never seen a child this happy. Like She is. She was, both of our children are remarkably happy. Yeah, yeah. so that's, oh, there's got to be something to that, you know. Yeah. I, I always thought that they somehow know that they were, I don't know, they had like a second chance. They all, they feel like they know they knew that at, at like age one and two. Mm. Well, yeah, if you believe that everyone chooses their own life path, and life journey. It's like that. This is the experience they were here for. Yeah. They came for this. And that's why whenever um, when we play music, especially, I feel like they both really come alive. Yeah. And they they want that, you know, and they love that. They, they love, love the it. music. They love the freak show. Yeah. They want to be a part of it, <laughs> of our freak show. And they fit in no, they, part of the tribe for sure. They're a perfect fit. And that's that's really the that's the long and the short of yeah. it. They, they're a perfect fit for us. And the the universe did it or you did it. Someone did it. Someone I think made, the universe did it. Yeah. Um, would you, what What would you say to, to anybody who's interested in this road, in traveling the road? What would I you would tell say them? do the research, you know, really do the research, you know, and and take the classes first. There's always going to be some kind of orientation that we, we went through. But, you know, 
take the classes, do the research and just, and just be ready for it, you know, because it, when, when we were in it, it was hard. And I remember being incredibly stressed out, but the result or the, the, it's worth it. Like the risk is worth the reward mm-hmm. because the reward is unbelievable. If, right. If you, if you're lucky enough to get through it. Right. And and a lot of people, which you'll hear in subsequent shows, a lot of people go through it once and it, it doesn't it doesn't turn into a forever match. And then it it does the next time or even the next time I, I have a there's one guy who's on the podcast in an episode coming up where he he went through it like I think like six or seven times. And wow. he started out as just wanting to foster, but then he was like falling in love with all of mm. these <laughs> kids and and it just took that long. And now the one that is finally his forever child, he's like, this is the one. It's, like it's this is the be. match. Yeah. It's meant to when be. It, yeah. If it yeah. if it's supposed to happen, it'll happen, I think. Exactly. Yeah. And when it does, it's just it's magic. Yep. No matter how hard it is. I mean, we don't have it any harder than anyone else. It just yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. <laughs> yeah, thanks for thinking about me. Yeah, you have anything else you want to share or <laughs> say or questions or answers or No, I'm just dying to hear I'm dying to hear these stories. Yeah. Uh, thank you for uh, having me. Thank you for joining me and uh I'll see you on the flip. <laughs> <laughs> on the ride home. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. This has been the Foster to Forever podcast. Happy stories of non-traditional families born through Foster to Adopt. Produced by Aquarius Rising. Edited by Jason Cerubi at Split Rock Studios. Original music composed by Joe Fulginetti. For more information or to stay in touch, visit fromfostertoforever.com. That's from foster, the number two, forever.com. And stay connected with us on Instagram at foster2foreverpodcast. That's Foster, the number two, forever podcast. We'll see you next time.